Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome to everyone's favorite show about plastic surgery, health, and beauty. We got a really thought-provoking show that Sarah can't wait to dive into. We're going to be talking about body dysmorphic disorder, the long-term effects of gender transition surgery in adults, and lastly, a plastic surgeon on trial for the death of a teen. It's coming up right now. Live from Lincoln Center in the heart of the Dallas Metroplex, this is Nip Talk. An honest and uncensored show about plastic surgery, health, beauty, and lifestyle. With your host, plastic surgeon Dr. Bruce Herman, and your co-host, entrepreneur and social media influencer Sarah Bennett. Now it's time to discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly of the topics everyone is talking about. It's time for Nip Talk. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so, so much for joining us. We really, really do appreciate it. Please hit that like and subscribe button and leave us a comment. We want to hear from you. I'm your host, plastic surgeon, Dr. Bruce Herman. With me always is Sarah. Hi. What's up, Sarah? What's In up? the box is the great Travis. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm good. How about you? Everybody? Yeah, good, good. Yeah, good week. It's Friday. You got to love Friday. I was just telling Sarah how much I love doing the show because it means it's Friday and the week's kind of coming to a close. So it's hard. I, I don't know if I could do the show on, on Monday. I mean, I feel like I would be, like, less excited. Yeah. You know? Do they Me do too. shows on Monday, Travis, or do you just kind of start on Tuesday? Oh, here? no, no, no. They definitely do shows on Monday, do. too. They I have definitely to. do Man, shows. that's impressive. I don't know. Like, I feel like, you know, if you're doing a show, you got to be upbeat. Shows. Sad shows. Like, depressing stuff. I feel like, you know. <laughs> Are they murder be... mystery shows? Oh, that's good. It's like, you, you know, Monday you're feeling kind of down, talk about dark stuff. I don't know. I feel like I, I feel like I have to be upbeat, you know? And so I don't know if I could be this upbeat on a Monday. Yeah, I don't think I would be. So you gotta be a Monday, you gotta be a Monday warrior. Yeah, I is. guess I'm gonna have to tune <laughs> into some Monday of these Monday warrior. shows and see how they go. We should hey, like hey, do hey, a little hey. experiment and see which ones are, are happy. They're, they're not very good. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm 100 percent joking. I know. 100 percent joking. Right on. Well, it's been a busy week for me. I know you guys. I told you guys I was buying a building, which is like I, I didn't. I knew that is like a big deal because buying a house is a big deal, and this is even bigger. But uh, I didn't realize how big of a deal it was. We finally, finally signed all the papers this week. So I like how you casually say it too. Oh yeah, I told you I was buying a building, right? Okay, yeah. yeah well, it's yeah. not like a skyscraper <laughs> or anything. Like it's like an office building. So it'd be cool if it was like yeah. A skyscraper. So you're not like leasing build a building anymore. So I'm le I am leasing to myself. Okay. And my partner, and then one other one other doctor. So, okay. So I'm I'm in kind of like a, a landlord. I don't want to say like tycoon or mogul. But I'm just kidding. No, it's it's just an office building. It's like a medical office building, but it's like you know, it's just so much. It's so much to like do, and I mean, it's been like a months months long process. And, and the crazy thing is, is that I, I mean, it is good to get this behind us because it was just a huge hurdle to get like all the bank stuff like set up and all that. But um, now what I'm going to do is when I when I actually move into that building, which I have to renovate it. So there's that. I got Oh, that sucks. Yeah, I mean, luckily the suite that I'm going into is actually pretty nice. And so I'm really just doing like aesthetic stuff. Like I'm not tearing down walls or anything. I'm just gonna, we wanna make like something really posh, you know, like a South Lake, Highland Park type, you know, med yeah. spa. Yeah, well, yeah. I don't have a med spa right now, so I'm, I'm having to start like this whole new business. And so it's like, okay, there's starting the business of owning the building, starting the business, the med spa. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I mean, I'm still doing my surgery stuff, but I have all these other plates I'm spinning. What is, what's like the main thing that med spas do? So med spas will have a variety of things. Botox fillers are going to be, you know, a anchor of all of med spas. But then 
other types of procedures like lasers, intense pulse light, microneedling, um, things like that, uh, oh, okay. hydrofacials. And so like in the past few months, we've been hiring, not really hiring, but signing contractors like nurse, nurse injectors uh, and, and getting them trained on all of our equipment so that when we do open, things will be kind of up and running. So That's cool. Yeah, it's exciting. It's just a lot of work. And uh, Morgan is uh, the girl that's going to be managing my... My med spa, she's been great. She's been really been an anchor, honestly, kind of keeping me on track. And yeah, I was about to ask if you were going to have like a like a expert meds, like somebody who's like worked in a med so spa So I, I know a little bit about it because we've been doing these things that a med spa would do in my own yeah. office for a while. And over the past couple of years, just me and Morgan, who's actually my nurse right now, have been talking about opening something. And and I have to give a lot of credit to her. She's been doing a lot of research on it. And she you know goes and talks with med spas that are open now and you know learn what works what doesn't so I, I think we have a pretty good game plan going into this but cool. but so it's just a big endeavor but you know that's how things are right I mean anything worth doing is hard or yeah. takes a lot of work it takes a little bit of a risk so too. yeah right I mean I mean you know as a business owner I mean starting a business is is a risk and it's risky it's a lot of hard work and takes years before it pays off but I mean that's I mean that's what we do right I mean you got to try it. Now, if yeah. you need some extra help, Dr. Herman, I yep. will lend my services as an extra nurse. So just oh, okay. let, let me know. I got the outfit. A nurse the, of what? Whatever you need. Like, whatever they need. I just let me know, and I got you. <laughs> okay, I, man. Do I always have people ask, like, when I tell people I'm a plastic surgeon, like, oh, do you need someone in your office to help you, like, take pictures of befores and afters? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe, but probably not. I didn't even so, think about that. That's funny. All right, man. Joe, well, listen, man, I, when this show gets huge and we're on national spotlight, I mean, I need you then. So definitely, I'm going to be hitting you up. I got you. It's just a matter of time. We're, we're on the precipice. Yes, indeed. Yeah, the three of us. We have to hit, what was it? We're going to hit Paris Fashion Week next year because mm -hmm. we're so big? Yep. I think we're on track. I yeah. mean, Oh. You can ask like the really pretty models if they've had any plastic surgery. <laughs> I'm sure they would love that. I was thinking more you could ask them about fashion, you know. I know, I'm just being those. But, you know, we could ask them. Yeah. I would be like, you've obviously never had plastic. I know how to talk to you, but you've obviously never had plastic surgery. Can you tell people how you look this beautiful without plastic surgery or procedures? Ooh, I like it smooth. Yeah. I, know, I, I know how to work it, man. <laughs> All right. Well, good stuff. So I'll keep you guys apprised on that. And, and it's going to be a year-long process absolutely so okay so moving on uh speaking of beautiful people did you guys see in the news this past week about megan fox mm, I did about not. her talking about body dysmorphia yes which yeah. blew my mind because i would say She's that had a lot of stuff done though to herself yeah oh and that's a whole nother dive that we could take I, I didn't really dig into like what she has has done to herself she does look different now than she did when she was younger but I mean, yeah. of course we all look different but she looks almost as if she may have had something done I, but i i didn't really dive into that but it, it was very shocking to me honestly to hear her say that she yeah. suffers from body dysmorphic disorder because uh, i've always thought that she's just one of the most beautiful women you know in mm -hmm. hollywood and uh but that's just how body dysmorphic disorder is and i, I did want to talk about it and it's kind of funny because both my wife and, and my nurse at my office say that I have body dysmorphic disorder because I get really stressed if I like gain weight. And, and so, and we'll talk about more about what it is. I don't really think that I could be clinically diagnosed with it, but, but it's something that I get, you know, and, and I think to a certain degree, we all get the idea. No, I definitely deal with it like all the time. Yeah. I see flaws that nobody else sees. Right. Constantly. And that's it. Yeah. So, so. Uh, 
anyway, so Megan Fox came out. She, she was uh, working with Sports Illustrated. She's the, the swimsuit model cover mm -hmm. for this year, which is fantastic. 37 years old, actress. Uh, I don't think she's done any modeling. My wife and I were discussing that last night. But she's uh, mostly an actress and been mm -hmm. on a lot of covers of magazines. And she said, and I quote, I don't ever see myself the way that other people see me. There's never been a point in my life where, I'm, where I've loved my body. And I just, it's just so sad to hear that and, and shocking for, for someone like Megan Fox to say that. She wanted to talk about how it even started when she was young, how she would obsess about certain things about her body. And Well, she was like sexualized really early on in her career anyways. Was she? I thought she that developed she, really quickly. Did she? I read that she began mod. So she did begin modeling as a teen. I, I knew that she wasn't like a, an adult model, but I think modeling as a teen. Yeah, I just remember seeing her on like, um, like a Lindsay Lohan movie, like a very long time ago. I think it was like, I don't. I think it was like a Disney movie or something. Oh, she was on Disney before. I, I can't. That, the first thing I remember seeing her in was a Transformers movie. Mm -mm. She, she, was in, before she that. was in movies before that. Was she? Like with Lindsay Lohan and stuff. She actually had a very interesting uh, kind of backstory. She grew up in a very strict religious kind of family. Mm -hmm. And so I was reading that she basically saved up money so she could, I guess, move out of that or yeah. move Did to Did you LA. ever see that movie that she was in called like something, like I think it was Jennifer's Body? I haven't seen it, but I remember reading that she said that was her favorite movie. Have yeah, you seen it? Yeah, it's weird. It's when her, like, her body uh, gets taken over by, like, a demon. Get out of here. Is she, like, a she, horror flute? Yeah. Is it and good? she turns into, like, this freak. Like, just <laughs> kills. She, like, she, like, kill, she, like, seduces men and, like, kills them. Or, like, really? And women, too. She, like, eats them. Yeah. She eats as a cannibal? Yeah, oh, my she, God. She eats them. Okay, I'm going to have to yeah. check this out. That's, like, she, Megan Fox is a cannibal it, demon? Okay, I'm in her, on that. You'll look at her completely <laughs> different after you watch it. Because, okay, like, I'm going to watch it. she's kind of, like her per like the way you see her, I, to me, she's always looked very like uh, intimidating and like. She does really, look. She looks intimidating. I would agree with like that. She, she doesn't, does that look. She about doesn't her. look. Like she doesn't. She just seems like she could be a big old B word. <laughs> and then that, and you know, I don't know. Like she kind of just. Like okay, I get it. Like she looks like very assertive and yeah. I mean, I get that. Like right? you can't get past her. Yeah. Like you, nothing. Anyway, well, she doesn't seem happy-go-lucky. She seems... Well, maybe she's got these inner demons boss. that we just didn't know about. Yeah. Right? That's probably why she liked it so much, that movie. She it, probably did, yeah. Probably. I'm going to check that movie out. I'm going to give yeah. you a report. Anyway, so uh, she was talking about when she was young that she had these, these issues with her body, and um, it was just really sad to hear, hear her say that. I just... It, I mean, I... And, and, uh, and shocking just because of how most people perceive her, but that is kind of the hallmark of body dysmorphic disorder. People see discrepancies in themselves that other people don't see. Mm -hmm. And it's characterized by an excessive preoccupation with like an imagined flaw, right? So if somebody has a, a, a defect, like say they were in a car crash and they have some bad scars, or maybe you know, they put on 80 pounds and they, they're unhappy with that, then that, that wouldn't really qualify for body dysmorphic disorder. For it, for in order for it to, to be a true diagnosed body dysmorphic disorder, it has to be something that's considered either unnoticeable or not a negative by yeah. the average person. The way I think about it is like you, when you look in the mirror, you see like almost like a disfigured, like, like a, like a clown mirror, but everybody else sees you through a regular mirror. But you, when you look at yourself in a mirror, you see all these things yeah, that Bad are, things, right. Things yeah. that stand out. Yeah. So you would say like, you see 
like maybe the way your lips are and be like, this looks horrible. And then the average person would be like, you look I fine. wish I had your lips. Right, yeah. yeah. What, are you, what are you talking about? So it does affect a lot of Americans. Between 5 and 10 million people in the United States have the, I guess, clinical diagnosis of that because there, there is a requirement, and that's why when I was talking about myself, I, I don't feel like I probably meet that requirement. It does require a preoccupation, the preoccupation of, of your self-image to cause significant distress in your life to the point that it starts to disrupt your, mm -hmm. your work life or social life. And, and so that's why I think that it's, it's not a diagnosis that 100 million people have, right? Uh, because I, I know what, when people talk about it, I understand it, not just because I'm a plastic surgeon, because I see that in myself. And so um, it, it, yeah. it, it, it's just something that it, it can totally consume people. Yeah, and I feel like if like you have, like you were saying, like you get up really upset if you gain weight, you're not yeah. the type of person that's like, I'm not going to go take my wife out on a date to a nice restaurant because I right. don't want to gain yeah. weight. My, my craziness like, will... Like, you don't do that, yeah. but well, like, somebody would. What I would do, though, is if, if I'll like, get to a point where it's like, okay, I just I can't do this I anymore. Eat, I just, right? I'm not going to eat. Like, I'm just not eating. Yeah. And I don't know if that really disrupts my life, but that's when well, my, not, my wife... It's will, not the healthiest. Well, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> a, doctor, just, heal thyself. Yeah. <laughs> that's when my wife's like, okay, you have problems. Like, I know I have problems. I accept that I have problems, but... Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I really don't feel like I kind of meet that formal criteria, which usually that is made by a clinical psychologist or a, a psychiatrist. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, there there are treatments for this, um, and it, it can be treated to the point that you can kind of get your life back on track if it is something that consumes you and starts to affect your 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 daily life or your work life or social life. The, the most effective therapy would be cognitive behavior therapy. And so that's where you, you talk with a counselor, a psychologist, even a psychiatrist, and you start to replace the bad kind of things that come into your brain and replace them with good. Yeah. And so you, it's a lot of exercises, you know, things like, okay, well, what, what are you thinking whenever you start to obsess about this? And then they'll, and I'm not a therapist, obviously, but they'll try to replace that with something that the negative was something that's positive. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of research to show that it's it's very effective. And cognitive behavior therapy is actually effective for many uh, uh, mental yeah. kind of issues that people have. The other thing that you can do are take drugs. Some of the uh, SSRIs like Prozac and and all those various drugs, Zoloft, have been shown to be effective in treating it uh, because it is a a type of OCD. It's it's mm -hmm. separate from obsessive compulsive disorder, but it falls under because you're obsessing about something. Right, just... you're obsessing about something, so it falls under that DSM five category of obsessive disorders, yeah. even though it's separate from OCD. Uh, group or family therapy has been shown to be helpful. Um, this is uh, where you can get support, which, you know, anytime you have support trying to get over something, you're going to, to do better. You can also learn different coping mechanisms, way to, to when you have these feelings to kind of put them aside and kind of get on with your life. And lastly, uh, techniques for stress management shown to be actually helpful for this. So things like taking up yoga, meditation, or, or even exercise. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, body dysmorphic disorder is something that as a plastic surgeon that I'm, I'm well aware of in a more professional sense, not my own personal sense, uh, because it, I really feel like it is a duty of plastic surgeons to not treat people who have true body dysmorphic disorder. Because, and fortunately, it's rare. You know, you're, you're talking about 2 or 3% of the United States, so it's, it's a pretty low, low number. Uh, but uh, I, I have personally seen people come in that, that have it. 
And, you know, the classic patient that will come in that I feel has a body dysmorphic disorder is, just as we've all been talking about, they'll come in and say, I want to have surgery on this certain part of my body. And I look at them and I'm like, you look fantastic. Like anyone would want to have what you have. And one of the more common things I see is, is people wanting liposuction and I'll look at them and they're like super fit. And I'm just like, there's nothing I can do for you. And mm -hmm. it's important that, that plastic surgeons have that, that will to tell a patient, no, you don't need surgery. Yeah. Because there's a lot of research that shows that if those patients who have, that truly do have body dysmorphic disorder, like a diagnosable disorder, that if they have plastic surgery, overall their long-term satisfaction is low because they, they'll find something about the surgery they didn't like, or they won't think it's good enough, mm. or they'll just fixate on something else. And so, you know, whereas the research shows that the average person that has plastic surgery is very satisfied with it long-term, with you know, a few exceptions, uh, a person with body dysmorphic disorder will, will not. Yeah. And so you know, for plastic surgeons, I think it's, we're, we have a charge to do the right thing and, and help people. And when I have people come in that I truly think have body dysmorphic disorder, I usually say, look, you should talk to your primary care doctor about this, who potentially could refer you on to you know, a psychologist or psychiatrist. Yeah. I, I'm sure I, social media doesn't help with any of this. All of this, course like, not. No, absolutely not. I mean, we've talked about that a million times, how social media is really making people kind of crazy because it's it's giving these unreal, unrealistic expectations. Yeah. I of follow a lot of is. women on social media that are like fitness girls too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're like, look, I can pose in certain ways that make me look better, just like anybody oh, sure. can. Oh, yeah. But like... And I can also, whenever I'm, you know, sitting down, crouched over, putting weights on my bar, does my stomach grow? Yeah, just like everybody yeah, else. Yeah, just does. like everybody in existence. Yeah, right. and like it's like, it, I think it's so crazy that people are just so um, like there's women out there that just don't understand <laughs> that. They just don't. Yeah. They're just not. They think that they like nobody has that. Right. Part. I've heard people say that before, like coming into my office, say, well, when I go like this, I feel like I'm overweight. I'm like, I mean, yeah, when you go like that. Well, yeah, when you I bend, know. bend when over, you bend over. <laughs> when you bend over and have a little roll, I'm like, no, that's that's normal. Hey, you should have. If you didn't have that, I'd be worried about you. Yeah, like you would be so, like, are you eating enough? Yeah, right. So, uh, but anyway, it is. It's an important topic, and uh, it's something that. Well, for me as a plastic surgeon, I'm always thinking about that when I see patients. But you know, for for the average person. You may have someone in your family suffering from this mm -hmm. and, and, and not realize it because they're, they're kind of keeping it in. So it's important to kind of recognize those things. I'm, guess, and I, I'm, I'm guessing that women have higher percentage of having no, body dysmorphia. It's, it's men? It's actually equal. Oh, Equal nice. between men and women. Because I feel like women get, I mean, women usually have like more cellulite and that like really messes with girls' minds. Even yeah. like, even as fit as I am, I still have it. Of course. And I mean, so it's like. You're normal. I, yeah, I know. Well, I mean, you're I know not, you're normal. like, you're above normal. You're, you're extra fit. Well, thank you. But I'm saying like, it's just normal, but like, you know, you're, you, uh, when you look at social media or you look at other celebrities, they mm. don't have it, but that's because they don't have it because they go get these, you know, extra treatments or they, or they just airbrush don't their show photos. it. Right. Yeah. They exactly. just don't show it or they yeah. pose in ways that you're never going to see it yeah. because they know the tricks. Yep. Well, yeah, it's all yeah, for, for celebrities and, yeah. and influence. It's all about, you know, branding and mm -hmm. I don't know. I always feel like when people are more real that I'm, I personally am more interested in what they have to say. Uh, when people come across as just fake, I'm just like, man, 
I don't know, but we all do it. <laughs> I mean, we all do it. I mean, yeah. I'm different on here than I am in real life. I mean, a little bit. I'm kind of the same, but I'm not usually this kind of, as you know. Do you think I am? No, you're pretty outgoing still in real I life. I am pretty outgoing, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm pretty chill all the way through everything. <laughs> <laughs> all right, buy some more of your store. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you on that topic. So, Okay, moving on. Uh, this is a topic that I came up with based on an interaction I had on social media in the past week, which okay. really shocked me, uh, honestly. Uh, of course, I, I hate whenever I... I get to the point where I think, oh, social media is like a good place. And then you realize that it's not. Uh, there's just a lot of negativity out there. And yeah. it came about because there was somebody on social media talking about, which is in the news literally every day, is the gender transition surgeries in kids. And so, uh, you know, I'm pretty passionate about that. We did a segment about that that I don't think that that's a good idea because mm -hmm. of all the various reasons that we talked about on, on that episode. And so I, I made a post to say, hey, you know, I'm a plastic surgeon. Um, I, I actually will do gender transition surgeries in adults, you know, uh, under the right circumstances. I don't do a lot. I do maybe one every year or year and a half. So yeah. not, I'm not out there doing these surgeries all the time. But I don't think that it should be done in children because of the various reasons that, that I stated. And so it kind of blew up and I caught like a ton of flack. But I didn't get flack because I said that 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 children shouldn't do it, which, you know, I thought somebody might say, oh, well, they should, and, and I mean, that's their opinion. I caught flack because I said that I'm okay with adults doing it. Mm -hmm. Like, it was crazy. My, my mentions were like blowing up with people that said that, oh, why are you doing this? And this is bad and people shouldn't do it. And like, it really kind of depressed me, honestly. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, I, I, in, the way I feel about it with people that want to do gender transition is that, you know, we, well, everyone in the world, and especially us as Americans, I mean, what do we want? Like, we want to be free, right? You know, free to live our life how we want to live. Yeah, and free, free to, to be happy. Free to love who we want to love. Free to express ourselves how do we want to express and, and, and do it without, you know, being fear of being persecuted. Yeah, you might have gotten extra flack because it's Pride Month. But I was getting flack from the opposite direction. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I know, I but saying. from, like, people oh, that right. were, like, just extra... But anyway, I mean, as far as that month. goes in like freedom, I mean, that should that should carry on to our bodies. Like our, our bodies are our, our biggest form of self-identity. And so, you know, it's an inherent right that people, if they're not harming someone else, should be able to do what they want with their own bodies. And, and, and people do it already. It's been done for decades. I mean, there's body modifications. There's things like plastic surgery. There's changing, changing your hairstyle. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many things. And... And I feel like that that has to apply to people that want to have gender transition surgery as well. I mean, you know, going through that process for people is not some snap decision. I mean, it's a decision that they make over years with lots of soul searching and going to medical appointments and, you know, having to deal with, you know, all the stigma that that goes along with it. I mean, you know, gender dysphoria is a real thing. We, we know that it's accepted worldwide. And so, you know, when, when, People want to go through that. They they should be they should be respected or at least left alone and, and not attacked. And you know, I, I, once again, I think you know the American populace, like of all people, should respect people's right to personal freedom. You know, if, if someone's not harming someone else, then there's no reason that that they shouldn't be able to do what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know that that goes for even if it's something that's not something along societal norms, or maybe it's something that's 
uh, not even within your own comfort zone, or maybe don't even agree with it. And, and, and I think that that's the way it should be, because if we say to one person that you can't do with your body what you want to do, you know, you're a consenting adult, you can't do what your body wants to do, then what's next? Yeah. Is plastic surgery next? Is wearing your hairstyle next? So I think it's a slippery slope, and it really kind of bummed me out. And I even had doctors telling me that there's no data that shows that gender transition surgery helps. And I was like, I, I know that's not right. I mean, I, I, I don't know the studies. I can't quote them, but I know that's incorrect. And so I want to do a segment on what are the long-term effects of gender transition surgeries for adults. Well, mm -hmm. Once again, as I said, and you can look at the other episode, I think it's wrong in kids. There's a whole bevy of reasons I think that that's not right. So transgender Americans do make about 1% of the population. So it's, you know, a significant amount. What is that? Three, three and a half million people in the United yeah. States. Um, and what are the um, things that are considered to be transgendered? Like, what do you have, like, what do you have to be? Uh, well, like I think that characteristics do you have to have? Oh, to right. Okay. So it's, it's somebody who, who suffers from gender dysphoria, meaning that they feel as though the, their phenotypic body, so you know, a, a male body is, mm -hmm. is not the right body for them or, right. or vice versa. And so, you know, kind of going through that process of, of recognizing gender dysphoria, it, it's very important that people seek out a, a, a mental health professional. And I don't mean that in a bad way, like, okay, you have a... Well, it's a confused, so, I mean, to me, I'm confused by it, so I can only imagine a person right. that's Right, you can only imagine people that's that, undergoing it would be yeah, like, confused about all that. Yeah, what's wrong with me? And, and I'm gonna talk about some of the, like, the effects that that has on people. There's a lot of research into people who have gender dysphoria and the things that they suffer from versus the, well, yeah. the average I mean, just I mean, just being, growing up, thinking you're different than a group of right. people. It's hard enough is, to grow up you know, when you yeah. don't have issues that big. Mm -hmm. to, if you to, just think you're just a little bit different than yeah. somebody, oh, it's it like messes with your head. So, so I, you can only imagine. So I just want to talk a bit about, for those who don't know, like the process. And, and, and the process of gender transition is, is, is very individualized and it doesn't always go by these steps, but these are kind of some of the steps that people will go through who have gender dysphoria, who decide that they want to transition. The first is self-identification, you know, self-reflection and, and, and knowing what identification that you, you really are. Next is coming out and letting people know that, you know, telling friends, telling family. Uh, following that would be like a social transition, things like you might change your name, change your pronouns, change your clothing, change your appearance. Uh, as I said, psychotherapy, psych, you know, psychological or, or psychiatric evaluation, that is important. It's not a negative. Um, it's not something that should be looked down upon. It's, it's very important in the process to have that mental health support. The next steps would be the bigger steps, things like hormone replacement therapy. So taking hormones to initiate sex characteristics of, of the gender that you want to be. Uh, legal transition, so legally changing your name, changing legal documents. And then you would get on to surgical transition, which would be either top or bottom surgery or both for people. Mm -hmm. And then lastly would be the continued mental health support. And so one of the things that I found striking was how many people thought that there's, that there's no data to show that, that this is helpful. And yeah. so I, I know I'd seen the data out there. I, I knew there was a lot of data. I mean, gender transition surgeries have been going along, coming around for, for decades. Yeah. The first one was like in the 50s or 60s. Like this is not like a new technology, although technology has gotten better and better mm -hmm. as the years have gone on. So I did a pretty good literature search on this, uh, specific to 
transgender patients who'd undergone surgery and what were those effects. And so I, I got some data and, I, and, and at the end I'm gonna post this data. Oh, here it is right here. So I, I, pulled, I pulled more studies than this. These are the studies that I'm quoting and I'm not gonna name them all because they're very long titles, but that's four of them and then I pulled four more. So if you wanna go back and look at these studies, you can. Uh, I think there's another set of them. Travis, you got the next one up there? Yeah, there we go. Um, so these are the studies that I'm gonna be quoting here for, for the data that we have. Uh, and the first thing I do wanna say is that most patients who do gender transition surgery do wait at least one or two years. Um, I saw a thing out there today on social media about some, I think it was the Matt Walsh blog called Some Clinic that was doing like overnight transition surgery, which I would be very much against. I mean, that's just a terrible, terrible idea. But, but most people who go through the process in the right way do wait at least one or two years. And also the desis rates. Remember we talked about desis, which is where people change their mind about their gender identity. Mm -hmm. uh, for kids, it was really high. That's why I'm against that in kids. In adults who go through gender transition surgeries, it's extremely low. It's a fraction of 1%, which I think is important. Because you want to make sure that people aren't doing these surgeries and then regretting, mm -hmm. regretting that. Because there are very Some difficult. Some irreversible Yeah, situations. I mean, it's practically irreversible. So the studies I want to quote, first was the American Journal of Psychiatry from 2019. And this one talked about, uh, in addition to the, the positives of transition surgery, the negatives that people with gender dysphoria have over the general population. So people with gender dysphoria have a six time risk, six times risk of having mood or anxiety disorders. Three times risk of being on medications for those, and this is the shocking one, a six times risk higher uh, chance of having a suicidal uh, episode, like yeah. trying to commit suicide. I mean, that's terrible. A six times, that's so high. Like going through or? Attempting. Yeah. Attempting. Attempts. Yeah. No, I'm saying like people with those characteristics are going through transgender stuff or People they... with gender dysphoria. Okay. So this is people who feel like they're in the wrong body. It's not people oh, okay. who are going through transgender. I thought you were talking about like no, no, going that would, through the No, that would be bad. Process. No, this is, this is on the front end. For people who have okay. gender dysphoria who feel like they're in the wrong body, those people are at much higher risk for suicide attempts and, and mental oh, health issues. Yeah. Right. Well, that makes sense. So the study went on to talk about how does transition, and, and I'm talking specifically about surgical transition, because you could talk about how does social transition affect it? How does medical transition? I was speaking specifically to surgery, because that's what I was talking about whenever this whole thing came about. Um, so this study showed a statistically significant decrease in the need for mental health uh, treatments after people went through transition. Uh, a study from JAMA, which is Journal of American, Me Journal of American Medis Medical Association Surgery 2021, it had two groups, people who had gender transition surgery and people who wanted gender transition mm -hmm. surgery but hadn't done it. And this one was pretty, pretty telling. It showed that there was a 42% decrease in psychiatric distress or psychiatric issues for people who had gone through the surgery and a 44% decrease in suicide, suicidal ideation. So suicidal ideation means that I don't necessarily attempt to commit suicide, but I'm thinking about it, mm -hmm. which is a precursor to people actually yeah. attempting or committing. Uh, there was a, uh, a, a journal from Germany called The Medical Sheet, uh, 2019. This one was a literature review. It actually looked at 13 articles talking about people who had gone through transgender surgery. And it showed that there was an increase in the well-being, sexuality, and the overall quality of life of people that went through transition. Um, it did show that there's actually a decrease in the overall pain-free feeling of patients. I guess that's because they just went through big surgeries. That kind of makes sense. And an overall decrease in energy. And I just want to throw that out there because I think that you want to look at both sides of everything. Yeah. Um, there was a, an article in 2022 from the Journal of Sexual Medicine, 37 patients before and after gender transition surgery. 
showed increased quality of life, increase in self-esteem, and decrease in episodes of depression. So, and, and I'm gonna just go ahead and list all these because I, I, I think that the, the data is pretty, mm -hmm. pretty clear. International Journal Transgender 2022, 246 patients after transition surgery showed increase in quality of life, increase in self-esteem, decrease in depression, almost identical to the past. Yeah. Dutch study 20, 2006, uh, suicide rate of patients was five times less after gender transition surgery than before. Pretty significant. German study 2018, 156 patients with uh, gender-affirming surgery had overall high satisfaction rate with their surgery, overall increased quality of life. Lastly, Annals of Plastic Surgery, journal I know very well, 2022, 100 patients that went through the surgery, overall increase in well-being, high satisfaction rate in surgery, decrease in mental health issues, decrease in suicidal ideation. So, um, and, and that's not to say that, you know, going through gender transition surgery is without risk. Yeah. I mean, the surgeries are big surgeries. I, the ones I've done, I only do top surgeries. I haven't done tons of them either because most people that go through gender transition surgery go to people who only do that. Yes. Yeah. I've caught a few over the years um, because they're not super complicated surgeries and I can do them pretty easily. Um, but... Uh, who, what um, sex usually goes through? The it's mostly uh, male to female is the biggest That's one. I, I, I don't know the percentages. You you always see the male to male is a little bit more common. Um, I've done both. both ways, and like I said, not a ton, um, but yeah, I've done both ways. Uh, and, and the surgeries for the tops are pretty. The, the bottom surgeries, the big surgeries, you know, that's well, yeah. yeah, real big. You know, you're talking about trying to create something totally new than what you got. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, I, I, it just honestly made me sad that, you know, people going through something so life-changing would have other people say that, you know, you shouldn't do that or you can't do that. I mean, I, I really feel like people, as long as they're not harming someone else, should be able to do to their bodies what they want. I mean, I, I, I think most people deep down think that too, although I, I don't know, I was kind of questioning that. But I just wanted to kind of show that the data does show that for the people who are going through gender dysphoria, and this is for adults, not kids, that if they, if they go through the transition, overall, they're happier. Mm -hmm. you know? And overall, their, their life, their well-being is better. The, the risk of them having uh, significant psychiatric, psychiatric issues goes down. So I think the data is pretty clear. Yeah. So big topics. Our topics are getting bigger. <laughs> we're talking about bigger stuff. I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, we're serious, yes. But yes. we're serious here. So, All right, speaking of big topics, um, this news article just popped up this week. Uh, did you guys hear about this plastic surgeon on trial for negligent homicide for a teen, a, a teen girl? Mm -mm. No, I've not heard this one. I, I, I thought we were going to talk about like another, like the guy, remember that guy that like killed somebody in his, the office? I haven't heard about that, sir. Well, I need to look that guy up. I, he, I don't you know. Heard what, an, you haven't heard any more about him? I've been looking. I haven't heard. I'll go back and double check. I need oh. to follow up on a bunch of these. I want to find out what's going what happened. on. Was he... He, was he going to trial? I can't remember my own segment. Was he, he was going to trial soon, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah he's the one who like, killed his lawyer. Right? He killed the lawyer that was representing someone that he was suing, which is so random. Yeah, he like killed him in the bathroom or something, yeah. right? Yeah, I'll, I'll do a follow-up on that. I think he was going to trial. Well, anyway, this one is equally sad, equally tragic. Uh, it came from Greenwood, Colorado. It actually happened in 2019. In Colorado. Yeah. Not Good. Florida. Not Florida today. I know, I thought you'd be shocked. So Greenwood, Colorado, Green, I'm sorry, Greenwood Village, Colorado. So this happened in 2019. The reason that it came up in the news this past week is because there's a trial happening. So it's a very sad story. 18-year-old Emmeline 
Wynn, whose picture we showed up. I think, did you show the picture, Travis, this young girl? Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, you already showed it. Yeah, that's her right there. It's a family, family photo. Um, went to a Dr. Jeffrey Kim, uh, plastic surgeon. This guy's totally legit. I looked him up, plastic surgeon, board certified, has great reviews. Um, so, you know, n nothing to worry about there. Uh, and she was undergoing a breast augmentation in his OR in his office. Okay, he's mm -hmm. got one of those office ORs. So this is all allegedly, this is coming from the news reports from the trial. So obviously, I, I don't know for fact. I'm simply stating what was reported by the, the, both the prosecutors and the defense in this trial. So the girl was being put under anesthesia by a nurse anesthetist and went into cardiac arrest. Yeah. And there was some mention that perhaps she got too many drugs, that she got like an overdose. So the doctor started CPR, regained a heartbeat. That's good. You know, okay, that's good. This is a terrible situation, but we've kind of righted the ship. But allegedly, he then refused to call 911. Oh, yeah. Maybe I have heard that. No, we talked about this yes. on a different patient, but it was a different, it was a totally different patient, a different oh, doctor. Oh, okay. Yeah, this so is a this new is one. This is a different one. Different. Doing the same thing. Very similar. So what happened is this patient goes into cardiac arrest, and allegedly the doctor refused to call 911 and refused to allow anyone in the office to call 911. So five hours go by, and, and I just, I'm not really sure, like, what was happening in that five hours. Like, what were they, I mean, if someone has a cardiac arrest and you manage to get them back, like, they are critically ill. Like, they, yeah. they need, like, immediate medical attention. Mean. And I don't know what they were doing in the office OR. It didn't really go into any detail. Five hours later, they finally called 911, EMS shows up and allegedly he told them the wrong thing, said that she had just gone into cardiac arrest, which does change some of the protocols for how they would treat her. So that's one reason that um, you know, they're, they're potentially finding fault in this. So they take the girl to the hospital. She goes into a coma and she dies 14 months later, never regains consciousness. So obviously a really bad kind of outcome. So when all the details come out, alleged details of you know, refusing to call 911, they, they arrested the doctor, and he's being charged with manslaughter and negligent homicide. They initially charged the nurse anesthetist with negligent homicide, but then they dropped those charges, and now the nurse anesthetist is actually a witness for the prosecution. She's like, you know, probably doesn't have anything to do with it. She's probably, I mean, I would hope she was... Like, we need to call 911. Maybe she was the reason 911 was eventually called. Who know? knows? I mean, it doesn't say. I'm, I'm dying to know, like, what went down because, yeah. I mean, and I'll talk about this in a minute. So, of course, now you got the, the surgeon and the nurse are blaming each other. You know, the surgeon's saying, look, this patient died because too many drugs were given. And then the nurse nest is saying, no, this patient died because we didn't seek medical care. And so this is all apparently going to play out in trial. And it's tragic because, you know, an 18-year-old girl you know, died over this and, and really in a way that, that shouldn't happen. You know, we've, we've talked about in the past the risks of death from elective cosmetic surgery. It's about one in 250 to 500,000. Mm -hmm. So very, very low. Um, it's, it's about on par with the risk of dying from anesthesia. You know, uh, it's about one in 250,000. I looked at the data and it's kind of all over the map and I ended up calling one of my friends to see what he said. And he said about one in 250, maybe 300,000 risk, especially in somebody so young, 18 year old, but totally healthy. So uh, it, it's a very sad situation. And just like everything, when we have these you know, terrible events we talk about, you know, I always wanna know, is there anything we can learn from this? Like, is there anything that was done that is a problem or that we can learn from and potentially 
prevent it from happening. And of course, uh, you know, I, I would go back to if it true if it is true that they refuse to call nine one one. I have a, an, a enormous problem with that. Yeah. I, I just don't. I can't imagine the thinking that you wouldn't call nine one one. I mean, I guess the thinking trying to put myself in why would they do this is oh if i call 911 then obviously it's a big deal well i mean it is a big deal somebody went to cardiac arrest well, having surgery is a big deal yeah i mean you you have to like, you have to do that and so and then i think okay well is there anything to learn for patients from this and yeah don't have surgery in or in, in office or man you really office. you steal my thunder you're getting too good at this like pretty soon well, every go, time you tell me a story i'm like i already know you're wrong. like making middle notes of like you know what you shouldn't should yeah, do yeah so I, and, and that would be the thing that i would probably mention is so for example when i'm in surgery in my surgery center if if i do something that seems unsafe i, I can promise you and assure you that the people will tell me that it's wrong. And if I continue to do it, they will escalate that up the chain. Yeah, well, if somebody's coding too, they're like, you're in a hospital. Well, I mean, this is surgery center. So it's better in a surgery center yeah. than an office, but, but yes. But my, my point being is that in that scenario, if it's true, it's once again, it's all alleged, come out in trial. If a doctor refuses to call 911, obviously someone should step up and say, this is wrong. But if those patient, if those employees are personally employed by that surgeon, then there's more pressure that surgeon could put on them. Because mm -hmm. if something happened in the OR and I said, no, we don't need to do anything, and I say, I forbid you from going to find someone to help, like the patient, the people in the OR would be like, sorry, that, I will lose my I job if I don't you. do that. Yeah. They're not going to cover for you. Yeah. That is different when, when someone is in their own private office OR, and we've seen that if it did happen allegedly here and then in the case we talked about mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago so does that mean that it's not safe to get surgery in office or i mean no i i, I wouldn't say necessarily that that's it's not like the, the best option. the point here uh, i would say that you're right that uh there are some potential things that can happen in, in an office or setting that could be bad that may not happen in a yeah. in a hospital or a accredited surgery center yeah and i guess like a thing to say for nurses and people that work for doctors that have that have that like yeah. um even if like if they tell you not to call 911 you're not going to be working for them much longer <laughs> right. they're going to exactly fire right. you or yeah, either fire you or yeah or well, they're going to be they're there's everything's going to be taken away from them so it's yeah. like you better just be you better just go the right course right. and not you wonder if people could be held liable for, you know, refusing to call 911. If yeah. Well, the problem is, and probably with this scenario, is that probably there was no one in the OR outside of nurse anesthetists that you would say is high enough to make that decision to override a doctor. That's probably where mm. they're getting off the hook. But, I mean, it does bring up the legality of, you know, does the average person know that we should call 911? If they don't do it, should they be held accountable? Because we've now seen two in the past, you know, however many, what month or two, where this exact scenario played out, where 911 was not called and then the outcome was bad. Mm -hmm. So it's sad. I mean, just, and, and this guy seems like totally legit. I mean, I, that surgeon's accredited, board certified, it's long history. I just don't know. Maybe there's more to it. Yeah, oh. usually there is. I'm going to have to follow up on that. I feel like that anytime one. somebody's like killed, it's, it's, there's always more than meets the eye. Yeah. I don't know. I assume that it'll come out in the trial. So I'm going to have to follow up on this one and see what went down. That's just crazy. Yeah. But it is good to like, you know, not at all to sensationalize these things, but to learn from them. What yeah. can we learn from this bad outcome and prevent it from happening again? I mean, I think yeah. that's our duty. So we should make a podcast about plastic surgery murders. <laughs> now what we have.
Yeah, we pretty much have. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, Specials. I think we could do a special. Yeah. yeah, think about it. I'm game. I'll have be you a- ever seen that show about murder, like with Selena Gomez on Hulu? No. It's called Murders and the Hook, Murders and something. No. It's really good. And they have a podcast. Really? Yeah. That old guy, what's his name? Two old guys, two old comedians. Like older than me? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Both from Saturday Night Live. Oh, really? Yeah. So like Steve Martin and. Yeah. Is he one of them? Yes. Really? Right, I'm not looking. You know all the good stuff. I'm going to look it up. It's a good show. I got a couple like things I have to watch this next week. All right, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. We really, really do appreciate it. Please leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think about these topics or what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Thank you so much.